Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today is The Stacks November Book Club Day. I'm joined again by abolitionist, activist, founder, and author, Mariam Kaba. We're breaking down the book Prison by Any Other Name, The Harmful Consequences of Popular Reforms, co-written by Maya Shenwar and Victoria Law with a foreword from Michelle Alexander. This book is a deep dive into the idea of prison reforms, what they're sold to the public as, and what they truly entail. Prison by Any Other Name is a must-read for anyone interested in social justice and the problems of ethical criminal reform. Mariam and I talked today about how to tell the difference between a productive and harmful reform, about consequences and punishment, and about what a better future could and should look like. There are no spoilers on today's episode, and please make sure to listen to the end of the episode to find out what our December book club pick will be. Quick reminder, everything we talked about on today's episode can be found in the link in the show notes. If you love The Stacks and you want more of it, you've got to head to patreon.com slash The Stacks and join The Stacks Pack. It is a place for book lovers, for lovers of this podcast, and it is the way that I'm able to make this show week in and week out. We've got some awesome perks over there, like our monthly virtual book club, our Discord channel, but we also have timely, timely perks like discounts on merch and access to the Stacks reading tracker. This is the best reading tracker you're ever going to find. It's personalized just for you. You can add to it. You can subtract from it. I'm obsessed, but you can only get the tracker from right now until the end of January, 2023. So make sure you sign up for the Stacks pack to get your tracker plus everything else plus supporting this show. But really just get your tracker. Head to patreon.com slash the Stacks. I want to give a quick thank you to our newest members, John, Katie Palowitzki, and Taylor Z. Thank you all so much, and thank you to the entire Stacks Pack. All right, now it is time for my conversation with Mariam Kaba about prisons by any other name. All right, everyone, we are back. It is the Stacks Book Club Day. I am joined again by Mariam Kaba. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. And we're, I'm so happy you're back, especially for this book. We're (laughs) going to get into some prison abolition. We're going to be talking about the harmful consequences of popular reforms vis-a-vis the book Prison by Any Other Name by Maya Shenwar and Victoria Law. The book came out in 2020. It uh, just so people know, I was reading the new paperback, which had a little uh, update 
about COVID and the summer of 2020 and things. So I will reference that. If you listened on audiobook, you don't have that. If you have the paper, the original hardcover, you don't have that. And if you got it from your library and e-copy, you also might not have that. So just so folks know, there is a little addendum that was added. So if you bought the book recently and you got the paperback, you have it. Otherwise, you probably don't. Anyways, let me tell folks what the book is about and then we'll dive in. So as you can tell from the title, Prison by Any Other Name is about the harmful consequences of popular reforms in prison. So it goes through about like electric monitors. It goes through probation, schools as a place of policing. It goes through mental institutions as well as hospitals as a place of policing, child protective services. And it talks about how all of these things while sometimes may be helpful in certain situations, are also a form of surveillance, punishment, and policing. How'd I do? You did great. Okay. That's a great way (laughs) of That's my least favorite part of the entire episode is laying out what the book is about. I'm like, I don't know. Um, If you (laughs) haven't read the book, you can listen. There aren't going to be spoilers because this is true nonfiction. Like, you're just going to learn stuff. So we always start here. Miriam, what did you think of the book? Um, I really appreciate this book. I appreciate it as someone who reads a lot of books about Mm -hmm. prisons, about policing, surveillance, the carceral state. And the reason I really appreciated this book is twofold. The first is both Maya and Vicky have experienced the carceral state and the prison industrial complex not just as people who are writing about it, which they're both amazingly good writers, but as people who have been directly impacted. In the case of Vicky, Vicky got into some trouble as a young person, um, ended up in a, having a violent felony charge, but ended up being put on probation and didn't end up getting incarcerated, which she credits as changing her life trajectory, allowing her to go to high school, eventually college, and be able to become a very uh, well-established and well-known writer today. And then Maya, through the experience of Keely Shenoir, her sister, going in and out, in and out, in and out of uh, jails and prisons for the most of her adult life and into beginning and as a teenager, has seen the experiences of mass um, criminalization in first direct way, has experienced so much of it. And unfortunately, Keely passed away a couple years ago, and that was another shock and trauma. And so I like that part of mm-hmm. the book that really is like it's coming from the eyes of people who actually experience the thing, not just reporters who are reporting mm-hmm. on the thing. Mm-hmm. So that I think was a really important part. And the second part of why I really appreciate this book is because it widens our lens. Yeah. It says you can't just look at prisons. You can't just look at policing. You can't just look at surveillance. It's all of a piece. Yeah. You have to consider the prison industrial complex. Because if you don't, you're missing so much of what's actually going on as it relates to criminalization. So the book does that in a really beautiful way. It's super accessible to read. I don't know what your thinking is on it. I'm, I'm interested to hear how you responded as you read read through it. But it's accessible to read. It's not uh, an academic book. So you don't have to spend all your time figuring out like lots of hard words and jargon or theories that don't. It's just like a lay person can pick this book up and just like dive right in. And you don't have to even have had experiences knowing about prisons to pick up the book and be able to get gain something from it. So I agree with all of that. I found the book to be really readable. 
And I have read some about, you know, prisons and things. But what I really liked is that this book made clear what the industrial complex part was and not just the prison part, right? Like it's like PIC. I'm like, okay, but the IC, that industrial complex, I'm curious, I'm more curious about that. So that was really helpful. I love that they used examples of real people in each section who had experienced, whether it was like children who had had police officers in their schools or whatever. I also loved the way that the book kept making me ask questions of the system of like, for example, it was like, oh, the asylum's job is to like keep people in it longer. And I'm like, why would that be? Who benefits? Like I kept having these questions of like, who benefits from this? Which I always love that feeling because usually for me, the answer is like capitalism, like the people who own prisons. I'm like, good, Tracy, you're thinking, you're getting it. So I love that. And then- The other thing that like is such a huge part of this book or such a huge thing that came up for me when I was reading this book was how people who write about abolition or talk about abolition or organize around abolition, how much they have to know. Because Mm -hmm. so many like a normal book would be about education and it would have a section on student resource officers. And you talk a little bit about policing in schools. This book, every freaking chapter, there's a huge history lesson in the middle of like, okay, what did, where did this come from? How do we get here? And I just was thinking like, holy shit, these authors had to do research on seven different (laughs) subjects and do what's going on now and the facts and figures now and the recent history and then also the deep history and like take it back to slavery and take it. And I was just like, whoa. Yes. In your first episode with me, like, obviously, if you listen, you could hear how smart you are and how many things you know about. But it's not like it when you say prison abolition or whatever, it seems really small, right? Like It seems like this one idea of like, how can we defund the police? Then you read this book and you're like, holy shit, these people are so smart. They understand this country way too well. I want to die. How will I ever learn this? Like, I was just so overwhelmed by like the scope. And it's like 250 pages. I'm like, this scope of a 250 page book is taking me all over the country in and out of this and that. And I also love that they, um, featured, especially in the later half of the book, a lot of different organizations who are doing the work. I really appreciated that too, because I think for me and for other people that I've spoken to, it's like, well, how can I help? Or like, where do I go? And it's like, there's a million people in just this book who are doing something in in my community. Like I live, I live in LA, but I'm from Oakland. And every time I was like in the Oakland, in the Bay Area, I'm like, sure, they're yes. there. People <laughs> they're are there. there. They're so there. those are like my big overreaching, overreaching thoughts about the book. Um I wanted to also bring up something that just riffing off of what you just said was this concept of like, what do abolitionists need to know? One of the most important things to me about um, abolition is that the reason why prison industrial complex abolitionists begin at the prison is for a reason that I think people don't often think about, which is that it is, if you think about the kind of one of the most concentrated areas of violence, mm. it's the prison. Hmm. If you think of the prison is the starting point because the prison isn't someplace over there. The right. prison is something that ties all of us together. And huh. how does it do that? I always do this when I talk with students all the time. I'm like, I want you as your, as you know, audience members, I want you to think for a second 
of all of the different ways that you yourself are connected to the prison. And you might say, oh, I don't know anybody who's locked up in prison. And that, yeah, you may not know anybody who's locked up in prison. But mm, did you go to college? Yeah. Did you know that maybe some of your furniture was made by people who are incarcerated? Mm. One degree of separation. Did you recently watch a true crime series on television? Mm. A degree of separation. Do you vote in elections? Well, do you vote for state's attorneys? Do you vote for, um, you know, your your state attorney, meaning your, your district attorney, main person who's the chief law enforcement officer of your, like, do you um, pay taxes? Mm-hmm. How about, do you, I mean, like the list is right, so long. Right, right, right. Like, it radiates out, which, you know, Ruth Wilson Gilmore always tells people that that's why you have to think about prisons as landscapes. Hmm. And you have to think of them having all these other tentacles that actually reach beyond. People are, quote, trying to be isolated in there. But Mm -hmm. if COVID taught you anything. Right. Right? Right. That whole notion of virality comes like a lot of horrible things that people think are stuck in the prison never stay there. Mm -mm. Because people come in and out, even just the staff. Right. Right. Like, so like, these are the things to think about. And this book makes it so apparent that if you look at that, if you center the prison, you're not just centering the prison, you're centering all these other relations. Right. Right. And if you work backwards, right, like, okay, the prison is the center and you work your way out. It's like, how do people get to the prison? Like people who are being incarcerated. Here's all these different tentacles of how. And that's what this book does. This book is like, okay, great. We agree. Prison. Not great. How how do we get there? These different feeder systems and these different feeder systems that you're trying to reform. Also, not great people. Yes. Not doing it's not doing what you think you're doing. It's not giving what you think it's giving. And why does it look like the prison? Right. Why is right. the whole thing that you're supposedly making? This is a point that I consistently have made for many years, and people who know me will be annoyed to hear me make it again. But it is absolutely <laughs> true that when you put alternative, and then you say to prison, alternative to policing together into three words, what stays constant there? Policing and prison. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> So all you do is think about what you need to have that is the, quote, alternative to what you already use the prisons and policing for. Right. And then you don't ever question, for example, why we're actually locking people up for use of drugs in the first place. Right. So you just think, well, we put drug dealers in prison. So therefore, we have to find a way to do that Mm -hmm. for this population of people we've already criminalized. Yeah. When abolitionists are like, nah, we want to explode that very thing from the beginning. We don't want you to think of an alternative to prison and right. keep prison constant. Right. We want to ask you, what are the conditions that have to be in place for your and my and everyone's wellness? Right. That's the question. Not, right. don't we need cops to be safe? You've boxed yourself in. Right. You're starting with cops. Why are we starting with cops? We could be starting with what do we need to be safe? What What makes us feel safe? safe? When have we felt safe in the past? Brainstorm all the millions of ways you feel safe. Right. That's the place to start. Come as number one in that. Let's see cops come on the list ever. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. You put a whole bunch of things. You're like, well, I'd like to have a job. 
that would make me feel safe because I'd be more financially secure. Right. I like my house. I want uh-huh. my house to remain mine. Yes. I, you know, I want, I want like green space so my kids can run around free. Yeah. I want like you have a whole list neighbors of that I know. Thank you. Neighbors yeah. that you know and love. A solid relationship. Someone you right. can talk to in your friends. house. Like, friends. <laughs> A, a library, a place I mean, to go to the bathroom indoors. Thank <laughs> like, you. So many Public things. transportation, yeah. that's free. Like, yeah. A million things. There's a right? million things, right? Of no. course. I mean, and that's the other thing, like, I think with abolition work, like, and like, I, I don't call myself an abolitionist because I don't yeah. feel like I'm fully there, but I feel like no. I'm thinking in that way. And like, that's how, that's where I want to be. And like, that's where I'm working towards, which I don't know if there's technically a different, like, I, I know that people have different how you classify anyways that being said I think what I really like about it is like it's so much easier thinking and more obvious thinking than all the hoops I have to jump through to make police make sense right like it's like sort of a freedom of thinking of like how could this be better like thank you we could get people housing like this is fun (laughs) what does that look like as opposed to like hey it's okay for the police in my neighborhood to come and rip down people's tents on the streets of Los Angeles because that is good for sprouts. Like, it's like, that's a lot of mental (laughs) gymnastics for me. Whereas like giving people a home. Yes. That works for me. Like that works for who I want to be and who I say that I am and like how I want the world to be. So this book does a lot of that too, of like sort of reinforcing who I think that I want to be in a lot of ways. And also like this book, it armed me not to use violence language but it helped me to like have talking points for future conversations with people because I think and I'm sure you know this when you talk about abolition and you say that it's something that you believe in it immediately becomes a confrontation well what about this how about that do you think you think child protective services are bad what about this and it's like whoa okay let's talk about it it's like 50 the book said 53 percent of black children by the age of 18 will have had some sort of experience with child protective services department of health and security that 53 percent of black children and it had some other statistic that i didn't write down that was like of children who have had those experiences like a quarter of them end up in prison yes like so So, talk to me about like if we want to have this argument if you want to fight me on this like let's go and this book gave me like facts and figures (laughs) because you know those people love a fact and a figure it's like oh this makes sense no i need literal data who said it who who said it and like, you know well, who what told you'll you give them literal there? data and they still won't be okay because it's yeah. not about the data it's about the feelings it's about and the i feelings. really i really tell people this all the time which is why i don't spend i'm not an evangelist for abolition i never i have never wanted to and i don't go out there trying to convert people to the cause right dylan uh rodriguez who's a longtime abolitionist and he's a professor uh in california um at irvine i think always says there's no such thing as an individual abolitionist Mm. there's no such thing Mm -hmm. there's abolition Mm-hmm. And then there's all of us trying to friggin' come together I to come up that. with the collective project around that. I love that. I love that yeah. for two reasons. One, because like I was saying, I don't know if I'm an abolitionist. Like to me, that feeling of having to define something is like, what's the qualification? And that's mm-hmm. less helpful for me. Whereas just like I'm working towards this. That's right. That's, that's all right. that I that's with like other- all. With other, with other people. people. Yeah. That's I mean, the key, right? I'm not leading. I'm just right. I'm putting my money in the right places. I'm listening to the right people. Like, that's all I'm doing. But it is something that I believe in and like that's that right. I want to see. And I, you know, I'm sure you feel this way. I probably won't see 
full police and prison abolition no. in my lifetime no. or maybe no. ever. But no. like, and I guess this is actually a really important question that I didn't get to ask you last time that I want to ask you. Yeah. Which is you're a person who's been dedicating your life to this work in community mm-hmm. with others. And I, as we talked about, you know, you have hesitation about being upfront and all of these things. Mm-hmm. In the summer of 2020, after the murder of George Floyd, and and also in connection with COVID, I think. I think people d- downplay what COVID did for abolitionist thinking. People started talking about it. It yeah. was on the ballot, essentially, as they say. Yeah. yeah. How did that feel for <laughs> you? Because your name gets thrown around, right? It's like, Miriam Kaba said this. I read we do this. Like, it's on all the anti-racist reading lists. And all of a sudden, whether you ask for it or not, you're in the front and your name, it's like you, Angela Davis, Ruth Ruth Wilson Gilmore. Like, so I'm, and and we know that you're sort of opposed to being in the front of all these things. And also we know, and I'm sure you knew at the time, like, even though people were excited about this stuff, it wasn't going to change overnight. There's so Mm -hmm. much work to be done. As soon as people recognize this, there was going to be pushback on all these things. Like you understood it better than anyone else probably, or better than most. How did it feel for you to see people walking down the street saying defund the police and prison abolition now and, and getting in these debates publicly? You have to, I think the, the, the um, benefit of living a life um, and doing something for a while is the ability to see the thing that was ridiculed a minute ago shift and change mm. to being taken seriously. And I have seen that 20 years ago or more when I would be in rooms that were doing, I was doing anti-criminalization organizing and I, you would say you were an abolitionist, you would be laughed out right. easily. People right. would just be like, Whoa! you know what I mean? It was not a thing for people to really be able to wrap their brains around, even though incarcerated people and others had been writing and thinking about a PIC prison prison abolition, at least for a very long time, even before, way before I came into right. being of, uh, of a consciousness around this. I grew up like most of us as a preservationist. I was mm. a police and a police and prison preservationist. Why wouldn't I be? I grew up in mm. New York City. I was born in 1971. I grew up with criminalization as the weather, mm-hmm. like as the climate, mm-hmm. as the water. Right. I, how could I have been anything other than a preservationist, right? I always tell people that the hardest thing to do in the world is to change your mind and your worldview and then to admit that you've changed your mind and your mm-hmm. worldview, right? It's so, so for, hard. It's so hard, right? Because but once you a, do it, it feels like it's, it's not hard. It yeah. isn't. It's, it's freeing, like, actually. It's, it's incredibly, it's like, I didn't know. Yeah. I was wrong. I didn't know. Or I wasn't wrong. I thought I was right at the time. And now new information has come right. to my attention. Oh, my God. I'm taking yeah. that in and I'm shifting as a result. Like, that. Yeah. you should, you know. But anyway, so going back to your question, it was both surreal in one way, but also what I expected in another. I love that. I feel like... People will come to knowledge about these things because I believe in human beings. Mm-hmm. I believe in us. Mm. I think that over time, I think, first of all, most people are good mm-hmm. in terms of not, and I don't mean like good people. I mean, most people want to do good. Mm-hmm. Like I really genuine. that is yeah. a fundamental value and belief in my life. Mm. Some other people think that people are fundamentally wild to do evil. Mm. And that is not me. 
Right. And so because I believe that people want to do good, I know that when things get presented that allow people to see the good that can come out of those actions, that they will be more likely to go in that direction. Yeah. And so for me in that way, it was kind of like common sense. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, this thing ain't going to be getting reformed. Don't mm -hmm. pretend. This is right. a lie. Okay. You, right. you hear them talking about that. And also what is reform? Reform, yeah. right? That means the form is constant. If something at its core and at its root is violent and toxic, reforming that leaves the toxic thing in place right. and you just put some new wrapping <laughs> around right. the toxic thing, but the toxic right. thing is still the form, right? Right, right. So right. I know when people figure that stuff out, people are like, um, yeah, I kind of know this is going on. I'm still scared. Yes. I don't know what else. Right. I'm worried. The thing we have right now feels like it's a stopgap and it's potentially like plugged into the hole. But as soon as we pull it out, the gusher is going to come right. out. I, <laughs> right. I want, I, so that's why I value people who will just admit that it's feelings. Yeah. That, that'll admit that they're just fearful and scared and that they're trying to figure stuff out. Like that, I totally get. What I don't get are people who are. No, maybe I do get it because there are also people who are invested in authoritarianism mm -hmm. and control mm -hmm. and think that some people just need to be socially controlled. And those people usually look like me and you and others. Right. So, yeah. So yeah. like that, that I get like the people who want to use these as tools of social control and really just kind of suppression and, and repression. There's them. And then there are people who are just scared. And then there are people who don't think about it that much because they're preservationists because friggin' criminalization is the water right. and the climate. And right. you know what and I we're mean? Just like, fish. And you, you would never <laughs> think about it. Like we're right. what, to me, it's a miracle that you are at a point in your life where you are rethinking things. Right. And what yeah. I mean by that miracle is why should you? They're right. you're told that this is the quote norm. Right. You're literally fed all the propaganda. That's all you get. The cops are good. Officer friendly comes to your school. You're what I like to think differently in light of that is shocking. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. we need to give people time. And so, yeah. so those are the things I saw and I noticed. And I think going back to the book in a minute, to me, the thing that I really appreciate is they lay out so, so clearly for us the concept of the net widening. Yes. That happens. Right? Ready, aim, fire. That's how yes. they, I, I think uh, it's Marx and Co Corbett who say yeah. ready, aim, fire. And that oh. whoever the target, whoever is hit becomes the target. That's exactly right. And, and the, the kind of the, the or, sorry, the, ready, fire, aim. That's how they phrase it. Ready, fire, aim. The huge kind of net widening that's constantly occurring because as they say on page 199, moving towards real freedom will mean taking criminalization out of the equation. Mm -hmm. Now, when you say that, that seems like such a simple sentence. That seems scary to me. It seems scary to take out yeah. criminalization from because then what are we going to do with these people who we need to put somewhere else? Right. <laughs> well, and also like I, I mean, this is kind of goes back to what I was saying last week or last time about um, 
consequence and punishment is like not only is the prison industrial complex, it's this whole big thing that touches all these things, but we learn punishment from when we're teeny tiny. So like even step, even before you've ever seen a police officer, even before any of that, you are learning that there is somewhere else you have to go when you do something wrong, right? Like that there is a timeout somewhere for you or there is, you know, or if you were certain people, like there is a spanking that came your way or there is some sort of punishment that you're learning and there's some sort of criminalization from such a young age from like and even a parent like me who's like I'm trying really hard not to do that I still do it my kids are still learning that sometimes as I have twins yeah so sometimes with twins it's hard because one twin is physically attacking the other twin and you're trying to have a conversation about accountability and you're getting like smacked in the face by spaghetti noodles. And it's like, listen, someone has to take a break. Someone, (laughs) we have to go in separate spaces, everybody. We have to be put somewhere else. Right. And you learn that from an early age. Even if I come back in after and I say, sorry, we had to take a break. Let's talk about it. Like there is this learning that happens because I can't always control my emotions. That's key. You, you know, and like I'm the person in power and sometimes the person in power is wrong and doing bad things. Like <laughs> also I, the yeah. person in power is a human being who's also yeah. scared. Also and scared and frustrated and, and, and tired. Overwhelmed. And yes. All the yes. things that are happening as a parent. I think about this all the time. My youngest siblings are twins. Um okay. and saw them, you know, saw that whole thing <sighs> from the from Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is not easy. Okay. So given all of that and given the what you just mentioned I think about the concept of punishment. When we think about punishment as as kind of a thing that we are just fed force, forcefully from the time we're a very, very small person. And we go and we grow up and then we replicate what we grew up mm-hmm. doing. And it just becomes a cycle of things that are happening. When you tell people, no, don't punish, um, how are people going to react to that? It doesn't almost doesn't make sense. It, 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 it feels like it feels like a foreign language, exactly. right? Exactly. Like, I, I, that's why my question to you last time about like punishment versus consequence, yeah. it's like, yeah. I don't know that I understand yeah. the difference. Like yeah. I do on paper, yeah. but in practice, I'm like, am I punishing? Am I giving a consequence? Like, did it's, I take the thing away because the thing was what was causing the problem in the moment and we had to stop the thing and now we have to talk about it? Yeah. Or did I take the thing away because I was annoyed by the thing and I yeah. wanted it to be turned off? And that's, that's but punishment. Those are, those are the questions you should be <laughs> right. asking all the time and moving towards having clear answers. My thing is, if you are inflicting pain and suffering on another person, that's a punishment. Right. Pain and suffering on another person is punishment. An example of what is a consequence is if uh, somebody is harming a bunch of people in a particular space and you say, you got to step down from your position of power where you're harming a bunch of people. Yeah. That's a consequence. That's not a punishment. That is a person who has major power, who is wielding un, you know, unchecked harms on people. You got to deplatform that person. You got to tell them that is not punishing that person. Do you know why it's not punishing that person? Because you're not saying that person can't get another job. Right. You're not taking away their freedom of movement. Like you know, like literally, you're not aging them as a result. You are saying you can't do this anymore because us as a society. We've decided we don't believe this shit should be going on in our community. Right. 
Right. You're, you have to stop, number one. Number two, you have to make amends and we'll tell you what we think needs to be that amends. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to take this accountability and this responsibility, we're going to have to figure out some other way to get right. you out of a place where you can keep harming other people. Right. Now, that doesn't have to be a prison. Right. Why, why can't we use our collective imaginations to figure out what else? We can. Right. I have faith in us, you know? Yeah. So yeah. that's the difference. Consequences are things that are as a result of your actions, this is a thing that cannot continue. And here right. are the steps you need to take in order to make this right, to right. as right as possible. Because you're not going to ever make it good. And right. you're never going to be able to take back the harm you already did. The wounds exist. The right. wounds may heal, but even when you touch a healed wound, in a there's certain kind of way, there's something. still scar. There may yeah. also still be pain. There may yeah. also also that doesn't go away because right. you took responsibility or you took accountability, right? Right. So we have and, to figure out. Yeah, go ahead. No, sorry. I was just saying what I think is really interesting about what you're saying and what I'm thinking about is that consequences and punishment often have been linked. And so I think it's hard to imagine sometimes that one is a consequence and not actually punishment, right? right. Like that there's not the like vindictive nature kind of behind it. And I feel like that's what's hard because like, you know, taking this down to my kids again, because that's what I'm obsessed with these days is because they're almost three. So it's really in that age of like, okay, we have to have consequences is that they might feel pain or suffering in the moment when they lose the toy that they've been throwing through the window. Yes. But it is a consequence because that is directly tied to the harm that they were causing. And that's directly tied to something, you know, like, it's not like I'm like taking away their food. Yeah. I'm not saying you can't have dessert because you broke a window. I'm saying you can't have this toy that broke the window right now. And and That's I feel a like right sized consequence. Right, a, appropriate consequence. And I think maybe when a consequence is outsized, that it can become punishment. Exactly. See, it's what I'm is thinking. a right sized con- yeah. consequence for the actions that right. we take? Like, for example, you should feel uncomfortable when you've harmed people. Like, yes. I'm 100% pro that. Like, oh, yes. you should be upset. You should feel you bad. You should feel badly because <laughs> yeah. you did something bad. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think we, I don't agree with people who say like, oh, you, no, of course you should feel bad. Right. And that feeling bad should be the motivator for you to want to feel less bad by taking accountability. Mm-hmm. Accountability mm-hmm. is a gift to the person yeah. who caused harm because yeah. it means they have a way forward. It means right. they have a way to be able to deal with the fact that they feel guilt. It, right. uh, that is a gift. I'm giving you a gift of accountability. I'm saying to you, here's space for you to take accountability for what you did. That is not a friggin' punishment. That right. is a gift to you because, again, a corollary of giving people an opportunity to take accountability is the equivalent of, you know, when somebody, when a harmful thing happens to a person and you're grieving as a result of that accountability is the corollary for the person who caused harm. Right. Right. Yes. Do you see? Yes, I so, see. So it is. <laughs> wow. It, 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 so that is something, again, we have to change the culture such right. that people can understand that. So I'm not saying you don't get a consequence for bad actions. You have to. You have we can't to just let people have bunch of ba- ba- right. I'm saying what's the right size response to that? And I'm right. saying prisons are not that. Right. Is it being locked away in a cage and exactly. having no rights in and freedom? In a torture chamber for 15 right. years. I say no. But I, I don't say no. say no to like 
a bunch of things we can do. We can find people money because they are needing to pay back money that they gave to people. We right. can figure out a way to remove people from the situations that they're in without right. locking them in a cage. We get like, there's a million possibilities of what could right. happen. But right. I think because we, we feel vengeance feels good. We don't want right. to give up that part, the right. vengefulness. Part. Right. Right. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay. Uh, don't yell at me if this is a bad question. <laughs> I'm not going to ever yell at you. I'm nervous because I, I'm not sure. When we talk about reform, we're reforming the system, right? And we're, as we mentioned, we're doing a thing to fix a thing that's maybe broken forever. It's not, or it's working how it's supposed to work, but we don't agree that it should be working this way. Yeah. It's probably a better way of phrasing it. Yeah. Is defunding <laughs> the police, for example, is that a reform? Yes. Okay. It is a reform. It is okay. a reform. What it means is there's a difference. And I, I'll just share this because it might be helpful to people who are listening. Like, well, it, are all reforms back? Well, listen, a reform that is a step 
away from the current death-making institutions that we have towards something different and hopefully better could be characterized as a, quote, reform in the moment. But it, what it doesn't do is put obstacles in our way towards where we're heading. Uh. So what we don't want to do is have reforms that I'll be back here in two years talking to you and we have to now dismantle. Get rid of those two. Get rid of those two because we just put together something we didn't think through and what it ended up doing was widening the net, criminalizing right. more people, making people less you know, safe, making people feel poor, what actually be poor. You just want to do that. So defunding, here's what I always try to explain to people about defunding. Defunding the police means taking resources from policing and putting them into the commons, other places where people will be able to have life-affirming institutions that right. actually edify them, okay? So that's that's the basis of defund. Right, right. Now, what people will say, many abolitionists are like, defund isn't an abolitionist, necessarily inherent abolitionist step. Right. Because you can defund police and still put funds into institutions that replicate right. policing. Well, and that's what we have in this book. And that's what this book is telling us. This book <laughs> yes. is giving us that, like, caution and saying, right. don't defund police as the institution and then put money into mental health courts that only right. find a way to actually future continue to criminalize people. But now... They are given electronic monitors and they're incarcerated in their homes because they have a mental illness, right? We right. don't want to do that. So right. abolitionists are always thinking and asking kind of generative questions about what do we put in place that we don't have to come back in two years to, mm -hmm. to focus to, on getting, to unfix, to to unfix. Or, to be, un, or yeah. how are we putting quote, things, steps in place that don't put new obstacles in the way towards the abolitionist horizon we're trying to reach, right? So right. that's why you hear a lot of abolitionists say, I'm not against reform. That's not what I'm talking about. Right. That in fact, people will say, we want to actually have steps in the direction of the horizon we're trying to go. And every question, every thought has to be like, is this increasing the possibility towards freedom and liberation? Or is it decreasing the possibility mm -hmm. towards freedom and liberation? If the thing I'm putting in place the answer is it's decreasing the possibility of freedom and liberation, then we don't want to do it. Right. It's that simple. Right. And you have and that, that in, and we do this till we free us. You have like the little thing. It's like a list of like, is this reform doing this or yes. is this reform? And it's really, it's very helpful. Yeah. Um. Okay. One of the things in the book that I was like a real mind blower for me, and this is going to maybe sound very dumb, but I'm going <laughs> to preface this as I'm a person who has never done an illicit drug in my life, just for whatever reason. I'm yeah. square bear. I'm not, it was never enticing to me. I have a lot of energy and I'm very social. And I think a lot of people use drugs in those situations. And mm. I just, I, it's never appealed to me. Anyways, no judgment. Yeah. But a thing that had never, truly never occurred to me until I read this book was that there are people who are incarcerated or on monitors or on probations for drug use who do not have a problem with drugs. Yeah. Of course. I just think that I always thought like, oh, they're drug addicts. Yeah. They need they need to be put away somewhere yeah. because they have a problem with drugs. They're unsafe. They're yeah. harming people when they're doing drugs. And of course, I know that that is not true because yeah. I know people who have been in trouble with the law for smoking weed. Yeah. And I know that they also live very full, meaningful lives and Absolutely. have children and are happy people and do it once every 
month or whatever, or once a week or every day, whatever, but they don't have a problem. And I don't know. I mean, I do know. The other thing this book taught me is that the prison industrial complex and all of its tentacles have the best PR people on the <laughs> face of the planet. Hello. Hello. Because things that I know and that I think about for two seconds that I know like this, yeah. it becomes increasingly clear how indoctrinated I am in the system, even though I think that I'm like doing the work and like <laughs> trying to help. I'm like, I didn't, it never dawned on me that people yeah. who are arrested, who have drug charges against them could have just been caught at a party smoking yeah. weed or doing a line or whatever. Yeah. Like yeah. I have so many friends who that applies to mm-hmm. and family members. Yes. And I think that like another big mind blower for me in this book, and it's in your books too, is sometimes the answer is do nothing. Thank you. And that feels so hard, but it feels hard because it's like, what are we going to do? Nothing? Not an answer. Exactly. that's not an answer. That's That's a non-answer. That's not what I... And it's like they point out in the book, the, the case of Monica Jones. Monica Jones, who was arrested for sex work and then put in the forced rescue program oh, for the sex Rose workers. Program. The Rose program. And like Monica Jones says at one point, the people are like, well, what would have been the solution? And Monica Jones is like, um, decriminalize sex work and make yeah. it safer for us to actually do the work we're doing. Like, why are you asking me this question? Basically? Right. Like, this feels obvious. Like, yeah. It's like, don't, it's like, do nothing. I don't need to be in the rescue program in Arizona for like doing sex work. Right. You know, these like, Catholics, a, like, yeah, like forcing the Virgin Mary down my throat. Like, like no, thing. Going on, and also right? like during work hours, five days a week Thank for you. six. It's like, this doesn't make because here's the thing. This is what I don't understand. This is what makes me want to just like <laughs> punch people is like, OK, this system is in place to air quotes, help people. Yeah. Right. Like that's what we're told. That's how I think that when you're a person who doesn't think about this stuff critically, that's how you justify it. Right. Like we're going to help people. Someone yeah. has a drug addiction. Someone is a sex worker. We're going to help. Yeah. The things that are in place to help are so harmful. Mm. Even if you remove, like, even if you put a prison in the nicest hotel in the world and just, like, if you put it in the Ritz-Carlton in Bali, okay, (laughs) it's great, great property, I'm sure, but it's still prison. Yes. There's not things in place there that are solving any problems. Nothing. And, like, this Rose program for sex workers is, how am I helping this person Find a different career. If I'm saying you need to be at work, you need to be in class from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. Monday through Friday learning about Jesus. Like, (laughs) I don't like that's the part that I'm like, make it make sense. Yeah. If you're telling me that I have to go to drug court because I'm a drug addict because I got caught doing a bump of coke at a party. And my repercussions are that I can't go anywhere including my job, or maybe I can go to my job, but I can't, like, I have to go to this class for six hours every week, and I can't do this, and I can't do that. How am I, even if I'm in treatment that is actually a functioning form of treatment, which many of them aren't, like, it doesn't, the solution that you're providing is antithetical to the thing that you want me to do. Well, and, but let's go back to what I said before uh, when we met last time and talked about Stanford beer. 
that the purpose of the system is what right. the system it's, does. It does. Right. And if you keep that in mind, you will right. look at the outcome of that system, which doesn't actually help the person, doesn't right. actually let the person go and find another job if that's what the outcome of the right. system is. Instead, has this person jumping through hoops, hoops, recidivating over and over again, getting reviolating. If that's what's going on, the purpose of that system is that. Mm-hmm. It's to mm-hmm. keep people on the hamster wheel, on right. the hamster wheel, continuously, right. pr- you know, make right. surplus right. Right. to the right. system, right. continuously criminalize, being sent somewhere else. That's the purpose of the system. And I know oh, that is hard. I hate it here. I know. <laughs> ah, I hate this so much. God damn it. We're so fucked. What is wrong with us? Like, this is your, like, I just, I hear what you're saying and I, I get it. And like, you're this serious. book says it and you say it and I know it. And like, as soon as you start thinking about it and like reading this book, it was yeah. like, the police. how about the fucking student resource officer who went to that young child's home over stolen calculators? Okay. I could fight. No, I mean, okay? you know what? You know, this is the thing. And the question doesn't ever get asked. Like to me, we just saw, I think people probably paid attention to this because it was so horrific. What happened in Uvalde? Oh my God, I can't even. Okay. But I I was hopeful that that was going to dislodge something in the conversation around school resource, quote unquote, officers, which is just cops. Right. So if all of that is there and Mm -hmm. all those cops were hanging out, and they spent almost an hour doing mm-hmm. nothing. Nothing. Why are we in this position of not interrogating why they are there? Right. And like the thing that also came out during that time was like, I, I didn't was not familiar with the Supreme Court case, but yeah. the case that's like the police don't have to do anything. Absolutely. They don't have I'm to. Like, actually, they so- have no duty to protect. So you guys have all these toys and costumes and protective gear and no. weapons and games and law, drones no and things. No. And you don't even have to use them? No. Like, let's defund that then. Yeah, I know. You know, like, let's defund the toys that you don't have to use. No. People don't right? want... Because if you're but, not going in, why are you still here? But there's a political investment in having them still here. And this is right. the point that I keep wanting people to think more deeply about. Because remember that every time you mention the concept of defunding, people say, I don't like that word. It doesn't mean whatever. I want mm-hmm. reform. Reform the police. Okay, they scream about that. But you say, okay, mm-hmm. well, take all these resources away from them. And you, they don't want that either. Mm-mm. So the issue is not that people right. are mad at the word. It's that people don't want to take resources away from the death-making institutions. Right. Can we just be honest about that and start there? They think that those death-making institutions are what keep them, quote, safe. And therefore, everything you propose that may be a, quote, reform has to not actually get at the root. It has to be cosmetic. It right. Has it has to be, to be like symbolic. a body camera, more yes. toys. Yes, more, more toys. money, more resources going to them. Training, right. more resources going to them. Every suggestion by the quote reformers is to increase the size and scope of the death making institution, not to decrease its power. Right. Right. Okay. And if you know uh, that, then it's because yeah. people are the are invested in the politics of those institutions. Right. And so in in we do the slavery us, you say this that also was like 
I, I listen, anybody who's new to like abolition work like me, it feels like everything is mind blowing because yeah. I think some of it is that you all are helping to articulate things that I think and feel but can't quite say or yes. can't haven't been able to work through. But in in your book, you talk about how rich white neighborhoods have a form of abolition. Yes. Because they have they 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 have a world in which if they need the police, they can call the police. Right. If they want the police. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Clarify. Let me say what I really mean by that. I don't mean that those spaces are abolitionists. I mean specifically more that those spaces have an abundance of resources Mm -hmm. and that the cops still exist in those kinds of spaces, but they don't, they're not in the space. They are the, they are the thing that makes that space possible. Right. Right. So like, look, in a way, if you think about it, these are the ways where people with resources. So Jimmy is caught with drugs. Jimmy goes to court. Everybody knows Jimmy can go to court treatment. Jimmy actually gets that opportunity to go ahead and do that because he's resourced. He has people. The judge Mm -hmm. sees his as willing to give him a chance, all this kind of thing. Jamal gets the same exact situation going on and Jamal gets incarcerated for that particular situation, right? Right. That is because we are embedded in a system that has racism, sexism, all those things in place. The Mm -hmm. outcomes end up being very different for those same people. The white suburb thing, like, is I think more complicated than what I talk about in the book. What I meant was like trying to use an example to get people thinking about what if we provided people with the resources they needed, not the criminalization. And in those spaces, that is usually the first response, right? Right. And then they still have the cops. They still use the cops as usually deployed to other places to preserve their, exactly, (laughs) preserve their own gated communities, right? Like the cops are there to keep the other people at bay, not them. Right. Right. Like that's the case. But that's not an abolitionist. Right. Right. That's just the way that these resources get deployed and used. That means it can use the resources differently is what I meant. And I think also like kind of to that point is that those people are not engaging with the police every single day. So this idea that the police should be defunded to them means nothing because they're not getting stopped and frisked. They're the not. police aren't just following them exactly. through neighborhoods. And so they're not this omnipresent no. force they're, in they're their life. And so for other people to be for other people, again. but yes, but yeah. not for them. Not for so them. it's like, well, how much are we funding the police? Exactly. Like they're not even around, exactly. you know? So I feel like that's also part of it is like, Absolutely. they're not seeing it. And yes. by design, of course, that's what the police want. Exactly. It's like, we want to keep your community safe by being this first line of defense for people to get into your community so we can fuck with people on the outside and you never see it. And we can keep our toys and our things. Perfect. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. Well, I, and I'd never thought of that until I read that in your and I was like, oh, of course, this yeah. makes sense. Um, okay, we're of course running out of time. This is like horrendous for me, but I want to. I meant I kind of teased this last time. I really want to talk about alternatives yes. because I think for me that is the hardest part mm-hmm. to comprehend. Because for me, I know a lot of this stuff is fucked, right? Like you don't have to explain to me mm-hmm. that a police officer going home with a child to search his house for a calculators is a problem. Yeah. You don't have to explain to me that more people are part of the criminal industrial, the part of what do they call it? Prison nation is what they call it in the book. More people are part of prison nation now because of uh, the monitors and the probation and all this stuff than ever were before. And that it hasn't 
like that there's more people on probation than there are incarcerated. Like, Mm -hmm. I know that's bad because Mm -hmm. I know what that means and what that looks like. The part that's the hardest for me is the alternatives, Mm -hmm. is the solutions, is the imagination part. That's hard. That's really hard work for me. Yes. And for some people, it's probably not. No, it's hard for all of us. It is. Okay. Well, well, I wasn't sure. Derica made it sound so possible. No, She's like hard. such a beautiful spirit. <laughs> no, it's hard for all of us. Why? Because of what we talked about earlier, which is that these things are the weather and the climate yeah. and the water. And we and are we're doing really good with it. climate these days. Okay. This is what's <laughs> going on. So like, right. of course it's hard. My friend Erica Miner says this all the time and it's absolutely true. She's wrote, written this, which is that liberation is unthinkable by design. Liberation is unthinkable by design. And that is because you're in it, you're Mm -hmm. in the muck, you're in the slog. All the, you know, Morgan Besicus says this about the fact that why it's so hard to uproot oppression is because the very systems that we're trying to uproot live within us. Mm -hmm. So we are Mm -hmm. all those things. So of course your imagination has a ceiling on it. Yeah. Right? What but it's not what? supposed to. That's what we're taught. Our imagination limitless. No, nah, nah, nah. And then it's like limited. you start to try to imagine and you're like, oh, my God, no. there's no all these no's in my way. No. I always say this, that oppression puts a ceiling on our imaginations. Like right. literally liberation is unthinkable by design. We right. can't. It's hard for you. You live this. What else right. is there? Who knows? That's why here's what I always say. And people get very mad at this and I don't care, which is that we'll figure it out by working to get there. Mm -hmm. We will figure it out together by working to get there. And here's an example of that. When you talk about, you want to think about alternatives. So let's say, you know, that crime, quote unquote, is your main indicator of community wellness or well-being. It isn't mine. Okay. Harm is, harm is for me because some things are criminalized and they're not harmful. And some things are harmful that are not criminalized. criminalized. Right. So harm is my vector, but let's say crime is your main indicator. okay? Okay. And you would be interested, I think, to learn that community investments actually reduce it. So here's an example. In the late 1990s in Philadelphia, I always bring this up because I think it's something that people don't ever think about. They kind of launched a program that was supposed to kind of um, breathe new life into the city's neighborhoods and to offer support specifically to low-income homeowners who did not have resources in order to renovate their homes, right? So this Mm -hmm. was a big thing that they came up with. So the initiative actually gave residents who were primarily in black and brown uh, neighborhoods up to $20,000 that they could draw down for home home repair. Mm. And they prioritized things like structural fixes that were like plumbing, roofing, etc. Recently, we found out that new research that had been done on that, there were about 13,000 recipients of these grants that got this money. And they found that the blocks where the homes were repaired actually experienced 22% less crime huh. and 22% less homicides than they would have if not for the repairs. So incredible. It's not like that. It's incredible. That's like yeah. an actual decrease that with people who want best practices and measurement and data, right? You could show them these, that study and you could be like, right. okay, here's the situation. So what we should do is take money from the cops and put it in that renovation program. Right. And right. 
exponentially increase that and put that in blocks and communities across the country that are struggling economically. Black, mm -hmm. brown, white, poor, rural, whatever. Give them those resources and then let's see what happens to quote crime and homicides in five years. Right? Right. right. That to me is an alternative. Right. It's right there. You right. don't you don't think about it in that way because you're thinking like the alternative to prison, the alternative oh, right. to policing, right? Like, but that is that is doing what you say you want to do, which is to increase people's wellness, decrease crime, and decrease homicides. That's right. happening right there. That's with working. That one yeah, that's an alternative, right? Because like, the alternatives are not one to one. No, and they're and not I one think, thing. Right, they're a million. There are a million things, and I think for me again, I love a rule. Yeah. I'm a very regimented <laughs> rule kind of person. If you tell me don't step on a crack, yeah. you're going to break your mama's back. I've not stepped on a crack since I was two. Okay. <laughs> like I'm just following the rules. So for me, I'm thinking, what's the alternative to this? It's got to be this. Yes. Them saying in this book, no, it's not one-to-one. -one. I was like, wow, I have opportunities now to think about other, like yeah. it's that simple for me. Yeah. And I think also part of it is like, uh, as I'm saying, like as a person who loves a rule and a regulation, I respond really well to consequence. And I know a lot of people don't. Yes. And I know this is very much a me thing. Yeah. And so a lot of the time I'm like, well, that sounds great. If I got in trouble for this, I'd love to go on a treatment program, yeah. be treated, move <laughs> on. Like, because I know I would respond well. Yeah. I'd be like, this is a great opportunity for me. Like, that's just my personality. And I think that's also hard with abolition. Yeah. And you talk about this in your work, yeah. like that feelings yes. can't be the guiding factor, right? And like, no. that is hard it's because hard. We're, we're selfish, right? Yeah. And we see the world through our own experiences. Yes. And so it's hard. But I feel like if once I started to think it's not one to one. Yeah. Yeah. It's not one thing. Yes. And then it's not one thing for one. Th like, like, it's not like, OK, if you renovate the home, there's going to be no more crime. Yeah, it's like, no. OK, we got to renovate the home, but maybe we should implement that community directory we talked about Thank with you. the details. Thank you know, they you. have that thing. It's like, here's the details of who lives here, what might be in the home, who so has these skill sets. Thank yeah. You. And like and it's not just that, but like maybe all the maybe all the stores in the neighborhood should have safe, safe space stickers. So we know like. And that it's a combination of things that work and don't work and that we don't need to be married yeah. to a solution. You don't have and to I have think one that's thing. hard. It's hard. But I also want to point out one point that you made before, which is that you may feel OK with going to treatment, but you would have resources to find a place that would not right. be a, a treatment center that replicated a prison. Of but course. Most, of the people most people don't. don't have that. So we're right. we're saying like. We're saying like the reason why abolition is so, to me, exciting and capacious and is that we know that we're not going to change one thing. We have to change everything. And while mm -hmm. other people feel like that's daunting, I feel like that means we have limitless, limitless possibilities to do so right. much shit. And but we can try things. Thank you. And fail at them because guess what? Wall Street is constantly trying and failing. Right. And the prison industrial complex is a failure is a for failure. reducing harm exactly. and increasing safety. Exactly. It's doing what it's supposed to be doing as designed. Thank you. But it is a failure for any metric that I have or Thank that you. you might have. That I have. That where, yeah. I, where I seriously, why am I an abolitionist? I'm an abolitionist because I care about harm deeply. 
because mm. I'm a survivor of harms because I yeah. do not want that for other people. Right. And I don't think these systems, I think they cause harm to other people. That's why I'm so mm -hmm. incensed about it. It's not because I'm trying to push off. There are the people who talk the most about violence that I know are all abolitionists. We literally talk about violence and harm 24 hours a day because not only are we thinking about it from the prison standpoint and the policing and surveillance standpoint, we're thinking about the interpersonal harms that are happening. And we're like, this shit ain't even doing stuff for this. Right. But we right. care deeply about that. We care about those systems being concentrated forms of violence. And we want to get rid of those. But we also don't want to just say, you are being harmed and that's nothing. That's why you have so many abolitionists working on transformative justice processes, doing right. other kinds of things, because we know people deserve to be able to be well. We want right. well-being for everyone. That's the right. point. <laughs> Not right. just some people. Ugh. Everyone. Everybody. 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 Yeah. Including Ugh. people who harm people because we know they were harmed at one point too. Like right. this is not just a binary thing. You have to right. get out of that. Like this is this and this is that. That's not right. how the world operates. It's not it's how a we web. Are. Yeah. We're all we're yeah. all different kinds of things. We've harmed people and we also are harmed. We, you know, are good, you do good things and we do bad things. Like right. Like these aren't just the duality thing, you know? Right, yeah. right. We're of course running out of time. I yes. want to cry because I have like a billion other questions. I'm so I'm like freaking out because I have a million things. But and um, back in the I will I will we can do more. I'm gonna talking. I'm just gonna need to talk to you regularly oh, when I have yeah. ideas too. I'm gonna just be like, hi Miriam. Um can I just tell you what I learned today? Not everyone's an addict. I Surprise. To talk with you. You are always welcome <laughs> to reach out to me. I, I enjoy these conversations. So, yeah. I want to say one more quick thing that really stuck out to me, which was about gentrification. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a huge part of this book, yeah. but it was talking about community policing. Mm -hmm. One thing about that is that I would be really curious if a community police officer knew that they were a community police <laughs> officer versus a regular police officer. Mm -hmm. LAPD looking at you. <laughs> curious, curious which of you are community guys. Mm -hmm. But I, again, had never really thought about how gentrification, I knew that gentrification was harmful for the communities that had been there before. I yep. knew that people couldn't afford it. I knew all these things. People were displaced. I had never really considered, even though I'm familiar with Be Barbecue Becky in Oakland, which is down the street from where I live, I'd never considered how much policing the gentrifiers do. It's just, huge. It's huge. huge, but it's not, we don't talk about that as much as we talk about displacement which is also huge yeah yeah but it's one in the same they're all connected they're all connected like That's and the community policing relies on gentrification huge. in a lot of ways to do that work for them huge well what is all those stupid next door apps and all the other oh, the stuff apps. not policing of a different kind i'm proud to say i've never been on one of those fucking I mean, apps you know, my some of my girlfriends are like oh did it i'm like i but the reason i wasn't on is because i don't want to know what's going on because i'm very nervous and scared i get know. scared because again i have feelings yeah. that are not abolitionists That's okay. <laughs> Right. Like I, I feel those things very deeply. This yeah. is my point about abolition. And I always right. tell people, I remember that it's like, I too, when some shit goes down and somebody hurts a person I love, I yeah. too want vengeance. Okay. Yes. I too yes. think these people should be buried underground, right? Yes. Like, Get them I, away from me. I feel those things. And I <laughs> yeah. let myself, you should feel your feelings. Big yeah. feelings are okay. Yeah. I don't want to codify my feelings into right. a system 
that right. then is put out there and harms a lot of other people. I don't want that. I don't want to do That's that That's the difference. Feel yeah. my feelings. Do my thing. Maybe personally, I also will do some shitty things. Yeah, Maybe I might talk. Cool, to, I talk right? about you in the group chat. Okay, okay? I, mean, I also, might call you a bunch also, of names. You know, I mean, maybe it's not even a situation where if you were really harmed, I have friends who are abolitionists who believe in baseball bats and going to people's houses is an abolitionist strategy, right? Because it's not. <laughs> not all abolitionists are rooted in transformative justice, right? right. People right. want to find ways to stop violence. Sometimes mm -hmm. they think you take a baseball bat and beat people up to the knee and they'll stop doing DV to their family members because yeah. you are, you're saying, I will come back next time and beat you mm -hmm. with another over the head, <laughs> right? Like that's, you know, that's not right. particular right. incident that's going on. I have, I'm rooted in transformative justice and I do not believe we can use violence to end violence, but there are a bunch of abolitionists who disagree with me on that, right? right. Like right. we are right. a right. big tent of people. We agree that the systemic concentrated forms of violence need to go. They need yeah. to be abolished. That's right. about it. <laughs> right. I, how you get there, it might be a baseball bat. It might be transformative. It's really up to you. <laughs> Reach across the aisle with your baseball bat. Okay. The last things we have to talk about really quickly are the cover and the title. Yeah. Um, I have minor thoughts about these things. I feel like what's in the book is so important and powerful that I, the cover is fine for me. It's a little on the nose. I didn't really care. It's like red with the spiral yes. of chain with barbed wire. I was yeah. like, okay, whatever. Yeah. The title, I love a Shakespeare reference. So I'm going for the title. I'm team title. But, and I think the title's helpful because it tells you exactly what's in the book. Yeah. But neither of them really jumped out at me in any meaningful way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm also with you on the cover not being my. I didn't feel like motivated by the cover. Um, yeah. I like I like prison by any other any other name because I I think it does tell you what's in the book and it also says that what people are trying to do is just replicate. It's all prison. It's all part of it. It's, it's all, all prison, prison over and over again. You just call it new things. You you know make a new title, but it's prison, right? Like yeah, and or 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 criminalization. So I like that title, but the, yeah. I can, you know, I can take or leave the cover itself. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, this was such a dream. If you could see my paper with all these other questions, people don't kill me that we didn't talk about every single thing in this book. How I know, I know, we? I know. It's How can we? It's so much. Yeah. It's so much. But anyways, this was such a dream. Miriam has two books in the world too. This year? Right? Mm -hmm. well, when you have another one coming that you're working on. Yeah. I, this year I released a children's book called See You Soon. Um, what? Yes, I did. I, okay, got to get it for my kids. Okay, I didn't know that. that. It's about okay. a, yeah, it's about a little girl whose mom's going to prison, um, okay. and that's a follow up from Missing Daddy, which I put out a few years right. ago. Um, so I put that out this year with Bianca Diaz as my illustrator. Beautiful, just her art is amazing. And then we put out Andrea Ritchie and myself. Um, no more police came out in August, mm -hmm. and then I have a book coming out next year, probably in May, um, it, which is called Let This Radicalize You, and it's about Ugh organizing and organizing. Right. It's a book that I wish I'm co-writing it with my friend Kelly Hayes. And um, what I'm excited about is that it's a book I wish I had as a young activist when I was starting, when I, I was still that. new. Um, and we're trying to make that book because I haven't seen anything out there that is similar to what we're trying to do. Um, so I'm really excited. And that's the book that I have to turn in soon. Okay, I can't wait to read it. This was such a dream. I would tell you all to follow Miriam on Twitter, but I'm she's locked. private. She's locked. She doesn't want you. I got in, but I only got in on the stacks. I, I haven't requested you on my personal page, but I sort of want to. So will you look out for me? 
so I can get it. Me. I have so many pending things. It's like I can only tell when people tell me, Miriam, they like they contact me via email and they're like, Miriam, my friends, like people I've known for years okay. are like, please open your account so I can get on. Somehow I got in on the sex. I think sometimes you open it up yes, for a little bit. A and little I think I must have gotten in when you were open. That was probably what happened. Exactly. Yeah. Because I was like, I can't get in. Okay. I got it. I've, I've not. Okay. Anyways, we'll talk about this <laughs> offline. But this was such a dream. Thank you so, so much. And everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. Take care. Thank you, everybody. All right, y'all, that does it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to Mariam Kaba for being my guest. And now it's time to reveal our December book club title. The book is True Biz by Sarah Novick. It's a novel about a teacher and her students at a boarding school for the deaf. Make sure you listen to next week's episode on December 7th to find out who our guest will be for this discussion on December 28th. If you love the show and want inside access to it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join the stacks pack. Now is the time to get that reading tracker. Make sure you're subscribed to the Stacks wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. For more from the Stacks, follow us on social media at the Stacks Pod on Instagram and at the Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. This episode of the Stacks was edited by Christian Duenas with production assistance from Lauren Tyree. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagirajis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. <laughs>